How's it going, guys? <laughs> and y'all sound like you're doing great. Anybody done with finals yet? Just asking. Some of you business people, y'all finished like three weeks early, so I just had to check, all right? <laughs> no shade, business people, but I was a math major, and I tell you, I started finals when everybody else was done, um, and it was always the worst. So if you're those people, I feel for you. Um, and if you have five left, praying hard for you, and I'm so thankful you're here tonight. Um, because, man, the Lord is so faithful and so good to us, um, and I am excited that you guys are here um, as we conclude our series called Centered, How We Remain Centered on Christ When Facing Blank, right? When facing different situations, different circumstances, um, different things in our life that we all face um, as college-age people, um, and how we can continue to glorify God uh, through all of those things. Tonight, we're going to be wrapping up our series with how we can stay centered on Christ when facing relationships. And if you think I'm about to talk about dating, you would be wrong. Um, I'm not. Um, but we're actually just going to be talking about how we relate with one another, um, how we relate as individuals, and how we are to love others um, as, as followers of Christ, and how that has become something new in our lives as we enter into a relationship with Jesus. So if you got really nervous just a second ago about we're talking about relationships and you're like, man, I wish, um, like, don't worry, we're not talking about it. Okay, so we're going to be in Ephesians 4 tonight um, and talking about how we can just remain centered on Christ as we deal with people, um, as we love others, as we have roommates that are difficult, as we have coworkers and classmates that we'd rather not be around, um, and as we have people that we would love to be around. Um, and just how we can continue to point to Christ and honor him through each and every one of those situations. So we're going to be in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17. And as you flip there, kind of just give a quick background of Ephesians. Um, basically, Ephesians is broken up into two main sections. Um, Paul does this in a lot of his letters. He kind of has this, this doctrinal section, which is in chapters 1 through 3. Um, this is our background, this is our theological reasoning um, for why we believe what we believe, why we do what we do. Um, and so that's chapters 1 through 3 of this book. And as we get into chapter 4 through the end, verse, or chapter 6, we see Paul kind of give a little bit more practical application. And like, hey, because of all of these things we talked about in 1 through 3, this is how we ought to live. So if I'd, I would do ourselves like a disservice if I just jumped into this verse and not give you kind of a little bit of a background of chapters 1 through 3, because they're really important. In Ephesians 2, if you've never read it, go home and read it, um, because it hopefully will change your life if it hasn't already. Um, it is a, just one of the clearest declarations of the gospel message that we see in Scripture, um, and that's kind of the foundation that we see all throughout chapters 1 through 3. Is, is Paul is, is reminding this church at Ephesus of how they were saved. It was not by the things that they did, by the church attendance that they had, by any of the, the right things, but it was only through faith in Jesus Christ, through his life, death, and resurrection, that they had salvation in him. It's through the grace of God that they could have a relationship with Jesus Christ and be saved from eternal damnation. Like, that is what we see in chapter 2, and it's one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture. Um, and, man, just go read it. Um, like, if that's all you get from this sermon, that's enough. Um, because Ephesians 2 is incredible. Uh, and, it, and it points to chapter 4 where we're at. Um, because at the end of chapter 2, he says, man, if you've been saved by faith in Jesus Christ, you were created into something new for good works for him. 
There's a really important dynamic in that verse. It was that we were made new first, and then we had good works to do. It's not the other way around, and often we get that confused, that we do good enough things for God, that will lead us to a relationship with him. But that can never happen because we, in, our, in and of ourselves, are sinful. Um, we are so separate from God, there is nothing that we can do to get back across that bridge. It is only through Jesus Christ that we can enter into a relationship with him. And so it's our faith and our salvation that comes first. The new life that we have in Christ is what leads us to be able to live for him, not the other way around. And so that's kind of our background. That's where we're kind of moving, coming out of as we enter into chapter four. And he gives some just very practical advice on how we ought to live as new, new creations, as new people in Christ. This is how we are to live and love and treat others. So we'll pick up in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. We're going to pause right there. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, we just pray that as we enter into this text, um, Lord, that you would reveal yourselves to us. Lord, that in the middle of finals and distractions and tests and just all the things that life throws at us, Lord, that we would just remove all of that for the next few minutes. Lord, that we would fixate our minds on you. You would remove distractions from our hearts and our minds. And Lord, that you would just be at the center of this moment. Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would challenge us, that you would convict us. And Lord, that as we leave this place here in a few moments, Lord, that we would leave changed that this would not just be another sermon, but Lord, that this would be something that has changed our lives. And Lord, we just pray that as we deal with this topic of how we love and live in community and amongst others, Lord, that you would just truly challenge us to truly live for you and truly reflect the love that you have for us to those around us. Lord, we love you. Just something I pray. Amen. So as we start here, and try to figure out, okay, how do we relate to others? How do we do all these things? It all starts with what we see in these first seven verses. That we have become something new. And, and the main gist of these few verses, he's saying, man, you are to no longer live like the Gentiles do. And, and for us, it's essentially saying, like, as non-Christ followers do. He's saying, no longer live that way. No longer live in the darkness in which they live, in the callousness of their heart, in the greed in which they have, in the selfishness in which they have. He said, no longer do those things. But instead, we are to walk in the newness of life in which Christ provided. We are to put off all of these old things, all of our old desires, all of our deceitful desires that we once had before Christ. And we are to put on the new self. And this is where it all starts. And this is the first point that's going to be up on the screen, is that we are to put on the new self. If we miss Jesus and do the things for him, we missed it all, guys. This is where it all starts, and our relationship with others is our relationship with God has to be right first. He is the one that makes us something new. He is the one that is truly transforming our lives. 
And if we don't have him, we don't have a proper way in which we can relate with others. We can't love others the way that we're supposed to. We can't live in the righteousness and holiness in which Christ provides because the truth is only he provides it. He is the one that can truly give us new life in Christ. Verse 23 is a very like, pivotal moment in this text. He says, You are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and you are to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. In here he said, man, you were once lost, dead to sin, sons of, of the devil, really unrighteousness is what he says back in chapter two. He says, that was once you. But in Christ, you have become something new. So stop living like your old self. Stop doing the things that you did before him. He says, no, put on the new self, remove the old and live like Christ does. And the truth behind that is, guys, we can't do that in our own intuition, our own power, our own self-will. We truly, the only way that we can live like Christ is to truly abide with him. We see in verse 23, it says we're to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And, and I think we like hear this a lot in church and like, we're like, man, what does that even mean? It means that we are to dedicate our minds to knowing Christ more. And when we do those things, our mind starts changing how it works. Our mind starts saying, okay, man, if this is how Christ lived and this is how I'm supposed to live, maybe I'm going to start doing that more. It all starts with how we spend time with Christ first. John 15, I think, is a really pivotal just role um, in, in the Christian life, right? If you don't know what John 15 is, it says, man, if anyone abides in me and I in him, he will produce much fruit. And we can't bear fruit. I'm kind of paraphrasing, but I'll just read it um, since y'all have it in front of you. It says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Can you throw up verse 5 too? Yeah, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This passage, these two verses, while often quoted, are very important. As we put on the new self, as we enter into renewing our minds in Christ, we have to be with him. He's saying, man, if you are not connected to me, how are you going to produce the things of me? And the truth is we can't on our own. We have to abide him. That's what verse five just said. It says, man, if you do not abide in me, you can do nothing on your own. You might be able to fake it, but it is not eternal. You might be able to say, man, I look the right part, but unless you are abiding with Christ, all of those things will fade. He is the one that transforms. He is the one who renews, and he is the one who allows you to relate properly with others. Which kind of brings us to the, the meat of the text here in verses 25 through 32. It's like once we put on the new self, how do we relate with others? How do we treat others? How do we spend time with people? Like people can be hard. They can be difficult. It, it can be sometimes really difficult to love people well. But as Christ followers, we're called to do exactly that. So what does that look like? I'm glad you asked. Y'all are active tonight. Um, I'm telling you, all the quietest y'all have ever been. Um, and I know it's finals week. Okay, so verse 25, let's dig in. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, 
for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one, one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. In this verses, we see very clear directions. We see very clear uh, implications on how we ought to live as followers of Christ. Um, it's kind of an interesting dynamic as, as often like in these verses, he kind of gives this negative of like, don't do this, but you should do this. And because it kind of backs on what we just talked about, he says, don't live as the Gentiles do, but instead live as a Christ follower does. And so kind of each one of these commands that he gives, it, it follows that narrative. And not only does it follow that narrative, but it gives a reason for why we should live the way that we should live. It gives this theological backing to say, all right, you don't do this, you do do this because of this. And I think it's a very clear path for us. And, and tonight we're going to look at these, these six things on how we treat others and how we are to relate with one another. There's probably eight things here, but that seemed like too many. Um, so <laughs> we're going to do six things. Uh, the first is speak truth. Speak truth. In verse 25, he basically just says, man, put away all falsehood and speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. He says, speak truth to people. As followers of Christ, we are to be truth bearers, which means we are to speak truth, right? That means don't lie. It's not that hard of a concept. I'm not going to act like you don't understand what this is saying. But the reasoning that he gives here, I think, is really interesting. He says, man, don't lie to your, your neighbor because y'all are all of one body. If we backed up a little bit in chapter four, we would see Paul like driving in the fact that as members of Christ, as members of the body of Christ, we are all one body working together, working for the kingdom of God. And he said, man, why would you lie to yourself? I, I kind of heard it read this way and I might misquote this, so just bear with me. Um, it's kind of like if we walked into our kitchen tonight after we get home because, man, we had some dino nugs, but they just like, they just kind of tickled the hunger, you know what I mean? And so like we really needed to heat something up else on the stovetop. And we look and we turn it on, we walk away, and our roommate comes in and he, and he looks at this red hot iron, right? The little twirly thing, I don't know what it's called. Um, grate, maybe? Anybody help me there? burner yeah I guess but like the metal part um, anyways <laughs> it is the burner I'm just messing up uh, not really I really don't know um, but anyways the heating coil that's what I wanted the coil thing yeah because um, like so thank you we got an engineer in the house or it used to be engineer in the house um I don't know who said it so like that was not a death and if it was Garrison I'm sorry um <laughs> But man, we have this heating coil. Thank you. And it's red. It's hot. Your roommate comes in. He looks at it. He's like, man, that, that looks really cold. Let me touch it, right? 
Like his eyes look at this thing and they see the red hotness of this coil. And it tells his hand, you should try and touch that thing. For real. And you put your hand on it. What happens? You burn your hand because obviously your eyes are lying to your hand because it's red. Red is hot, always. Um, most of the time, I guess. I don't know. Um, it's essentially saying, man, why would your body would never do that? Because it knows it would hurt itself. So why, as Christ followers, do we lie to our brothers and sisters in Christ? It just hurts the body. It's saying, man, why would we ever do that? And the truth is we shouldn't. We need to speak the truth in love, and that's who we should be as followers of Christ. That's how we should truly love other people. The second thing in this text that he says is, man, we are to not remain angry. We are to not remain angry. We see this in verse 26 and 27. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. In verse 26, it, like, it kind of throws me off a little bit, if I'm being honest. Um, like when I was reading the text, I was like, man, in my head, I would think it would say, don't be angry and don't sin. That would make sense, right? Because if you're not angry, you can't sin. But he says to be angry. And I was like, what on earth does that mean? And, and kind of like as I like dig, did a little digging into it, it's like, man, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we're not to just remove anger altogether. We're not to just be numb and callous to things that we should be angry about. But he's saying, like, if when you are angry, whether it's about unrighteousness, evil, sin, like, those are the things that we should be angry about, not just, like, somebody cut us off in traffic. Like, we can probably let that one slide. Um, but, man, it says, be angry and don't sin. And I think that's a really important qualifier to the be angry part. Because it's really hard to be angry and not to sin in it. And he's saying, yeah, we can relate with other peoples, we can struggle with other peoples and the evils that they do and the unrighteousness that they do, but that should never lead us to sin. That should never lead us to violence, that should never lead us to, to division amongst the body of Christ. And he continues to go on, and this is kind of the, the, the passage that we get like, hey, don't ever go to sleep while you're angry, and that's what they say at every wedding um, that you've ever been to kind of thing. It says like, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And really what this means is not like this literal thing because if like you got angry right now, the sun's already down. Um, and so if you stay angry till the next day, like that's probably not a healthy thing. But what he's trying to communicate and explain to us, he's like, don't let it fester. Like don't be angry at someone, against someone, against something, and just let it sit and steep and get worse. Because the truth when we start doing that is, is the next part of the verse. He says, man, then we start giving an opportunity to the devil. That's like a pretty harsh words, but he's saying if we don't reconcile, if we don't seek reconciliation in Christ, we're, we're basically just saying, all right, devil, come in. Come, come create division. Come create anger and, and frustration in between people. He's saying don't let anger fester. Don't let it sit within you, like truly seek reconciliation. Like if you're angry with somebody, like you might need to give it a second so you're not yelling at them, right? Don't sin. Remember that part? Right? But like once you get angry, like it's not this thing where just like, well, I'm just going to be angry for the rest of my life. Because all that does is create bitterness and, and malice and all of these things that we tell, that we see in this passage to put away. But he's saying, man, don't let it fester. Don't let it sit in your life 
reconcile. As, as body of Christ, like, we should be good at this. We should be people that say, man, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with this. Um, this is why, this is why it made me angry. Like, let's have an open dialogue about this and be mature adults about this. Fix it. Forgive one another. Because, man, what great grace we have been forgiven of. What great grace we have been given so that we can be forgiven. Yet we are so quick to hold a grudge till the end of days. We have to not be angry. Don't remain angry. We should quickly seek to resolve our frustrations and anger, especially amongst the body of Christ. The third thing in this text, which kind of seems a little out of pocket, um, and just not really with the rest of it, but I think it does play a major role. Um, in verse 28, he's, it says basically to work diligently. He says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So remember our, our formula that Paul is kind of laying out here. He's saying, don't do this, do this, and this is why you should do this, right? So he says, all right, let the thief no longer be a thief. Okay, thanks, Paul. Um, and, and the next phrase, I think, is where it gets a little tricky and a little gets convicting for us. He says, actually, you should work honest labor, like really hard, so that the thief that used to steal from people is now the, the worker that gives to people. We, we see this like complete transition. And, and this idea of working diligently while we're like college students, we're like, yeah, okay, whatever, I'm lazy, right? Me too. Um, but the truth is, man, he's saying, man, when we work diligently, we bring honor and glory to the Father. So why are we lazy? Why are we stealing time? Why are we stealing effort from other people? And like, man, this is so applicable to you. Anybody in a group project right now? Mm, yeah. Um, nobody likes a group project. Um, unless you're the person that no one likes in the group project. Um, but like, literally, like, be the person in the group project that people are like, man, I want to work with that guy. Because I know they're going to work hard. I know they're going to help us out when we need help. Like, be the coworker when, like, they're, like, on shift with you. They're like, yes, this person's on shift. That means I don't have to work as hard. You know, like, no. But, like, we should be people as followers of Christ that work diligently, that work joyfully, so that Christ receives the glory from our lives. We are really good. I remember being a college student and being, like, the way we connect as college students is, like, straight up complaining, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all go to class, y'all sit there, and you'll be like, man, I can't believe this professor made me do this one-page homework assignment. And the guy next to him is like, hey, you know, right, that's crazy. Why would he make us do homework in school? And, and like, then y'all are connected and become best friends, and then it's all at the, like, hatred of this professor that was doing his job, um, right? But, like, we're so easy at complaining and, like, complaining so much harder about actually doing the work than actually doing it. Um, and, again, chief of sinners, guys, uh, like, it is so easy for us to just, like, push it off, to not work diligently, to complain about the things that we're supposed to do instead of saying, man, this is an opportunity to bring glory to God. I'm going to work hard in it. We see that in Colossians 3.17. It should be up on the screen. It says, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
One way we relate to people well is that we show them that we are not just like this kind person that doesn't do anything, but it's like, no, everything we see is an opportunity to bring glory to God, and so we're going to work heartily. We're going to do things well, willingly. We're going to be the people in the room, in the, in the workplace, in the classroom, that people are saying, man, they work hard. And like, that's okay, we can work hard. Because we're not working hard for ourselves or our own glory, but working for God's glory. And that's enough. The next thing that we see in this text is not only are we to work diligently with and around others, but that we are to build others up. You see this in verse 29. It says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Honestly, verse 29, I think, is like just really convicting. It's one of those things where it says, let no corrupting words come out of your mouth. Like, that's negativity. Yeah, that's, that's cursing, that's vulgarity, that's all of those things too. But like, it's also just being negative towards people. Or like, pointing out the flaws in people. And saying, man, they suck at this. Uh, I kind of think of it, like, as I was reading this passage, I... I'm going to mispronounce this probably, but Jenga, y'all know what I'm talking about? A little, little block game, you know? Yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. They have like the giant one too. That's, that's what I have in my head right now. So if like you're thinking of the small little tabletop one, you're wrong. I want the six foot one. Okay? So we have the six foot one. It's this tall, right? And uh, you know the point of the game. If you don't know, I'm going to explain it to you real briefly. Um, it'd be crazy if you didn't. But anyways, um, so you're stacking these blocks, right? And, and the goal is to like pull as many blocks out, put it on top until the per- somebody pulls it out and the, the tower falls down, right? Right, okay. Thanks for the affirmation, guys. Um, thank you. Um, so in this game, as I was thinking about it, as I was thinking about this passage, it literally takes one move, right, to, to see this whole tower fall down, right? I need, gosh, y'all need to wake up, guys. Um, this is not that hard of a concept, I don't think. Um, and so you pull the block, the whole tower falls down, right? Yeah. Yes. Or awake. Um, so in this moment, right, you're like, ha that other person lost. But then in the back of your mind, you're like, I got to rebuild that thing, right? And, and so like you play this game in which took two seconds to destroy the tower, and now it takes like this 10-minute, especially the six-foot one, um, like build up where you're getting enough to hear. And I kind of think of the same way, like, with our words. Like, it just takes one word to ruin someone's week, month, year. But, man, it takes a whole lot of time to build them back up. And it says, let no corrupting talk come through your mouth, because you know what corrupting talk does? It corrupts. He's basically saying, this word for corruption, too, it's kind of an interesting word. In other places in Scripture, it's used for, like, rotten fish and rotten fruit. He's saying, man, don't let anything that is rotten, that will ruin the things that it touches, come out of your mouth. Don't do it. Because it will tear people down so quickly. And it takes so much more time to build them back up. So instead, just start from there. Build them up. Encourage her. Encourage them. Man, it doesn't take any time at all to say, man, you're doing a great job at this. 
about, about five seconds. But the, the impact we do when you say, hey, man, you're sucking at this, that can ruin their life. It doesn't mean that we don't need to be honest and that we flatter people, but it does mean that we are people, as followers of Christ, as we relate to other people, that we find things to encourage people about. I've seen this, like, it's so easy to just fixate on the negative things in life, to fixate on the negative ways people treat you. But how often do we stop and say, man, look, this is why they're in my life. Me and Rachel get the privilege to do premarital counseling with like four or five couples a year, typically. And it's one of those things that like we talk about at the first session, um, if you're like interested in this. Um, getting married one day. Oh, we did talk about relationships a little bit. Um, in these sessions, like the very first couple of questions were just like, man, why do you like each other? Straight up, that's all we ask. And, and like it gets super ooey gooey and like they're engaged and they're so like, yeah, you know, he's pretty. Um, and all these things, they say all these kind words and we kind of get to the end of the session and we're like, remember that. Because three years from now, his breath's gonna stink. Three years from now, he forgets to take out the trash. Three years from now, like he does this thing and like it just drives you crazy. And the truth is we can fixate on that stuff. And we fail to say, man, yeah, they do that stuff, but man, they do this stuff well. The reason I love them, the reason I'm marrying them, the reason that I care for them is because of the things that they do well, not their shortcomings. And in the same way in their friendships, like we can point out the negative all the time. But like, who wants a friend like that? I can promise you the most, the people that I love to be around are the people that like live in my life and like they're honest with me, but they're also so quick to encourage. They'll tell me, hey, your feet stink sometimes, right? But I can promise you they have built me up 400 times before they ever said that. And like that's how we are to live as followers of Christ. We are to build one another up. We are to, to truly edify them so that the end of verse 29 is so beautiful to me. It says, so that it may give grace to those who hear. Do your words give grace? Or do they take it away? The fifth thing that we see in this text is that we are to be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving. We see this out of verse 31 and 32. Verse 31, we kind of see the negative side of it. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. So he's saying all of this stuff, this bitterness, this wrath, this anger, this clamor, this all of it, malice, right? Anything bad. He says, remove that from your life and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I think this is like just one of the most powerful parts of this text. As he's, he's sitting here, he's saying, man, you need to remove all this negative stuff, remove all the way that you used to treat people, but instead be kind, be tenderhearted, care, have compassion for people, forgive one another. And he kind of puts a ringer in there at the end. He says, as God and Christ forgave you. He reminds us so clearly in this passage, he's like, man, why can't you forgive people? Look at how much you've been forgiven from. 
Why can't you love and be kind and tenderhearted to people? Because God himself is kind and tenderhearted and extends his mercy to us all the time. Why can't you forgive those people around you that do you wrong when God has forgiven you of everything that you have done wrong? And this really just like gives us just kick to the chest, right? Like it's just like, man, we treat people poorly so quickly, but we have been forgiven of so, so much. Let us forgive the same. Let us love the same. Let us be kind. Let us be tenderhearted. And like the truth is like, we as a society, I think, are really bad at this. I think when I said the word tenderhearted, every guy in the room was like, oh, yeah, what's that mean? Um, it means we care. Being a man of God does not mean that you are just like this warrior that attacks people. Being a man of God means that you're compassionate, caring, because that is who God is. He is compassionate, He is caring, He is forgiving. We are to be those things as well, all of us. Do the people around you view you that way? Are you a person that when life is hard, that people run to because they know that you are kind, tenderhearted, forgiving? Are you people that, that people hold things away from because they know how you're going to respond? We have to be loving. We have to be caring. It's who we are as followers of Christ because, man, what has Christ done for us so that we can have a relationship with him? And as we kind of go to the last point, we're jumping into chapter five, is we kind of just like to tie it all together, wrap it all up. We're to walk in love. We see this in verse one and two of chapter five. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The way that we treat people as followers of Christ is always through the lens of love. He said, walk in love. That means the way that we act, the way that we do, the way that we live our life should be characterized first and foremost by love. That's what John 13, 33, and 34 says. Like, we are to be known as disciples of Jesus Christ by the way that we love one another. Like, that is to be the one thing that stands out. And the truth is, so often, guys, the church is known for people that are judgmental hypocrites that don't love people. We missed it if that's who people think we are. We are to love them we are to show them the same grace and kindness that Jesus Christ showed to us, which is self-sacrificial. It's saying, man, I'm going to put others before myself because that's exactly what Jesus did. It's selfless. It's saying, even if this isn't always good for me, I'm going to love this other person well. It's doing what Christ did, walking in love as Christ gave himself up for us as a sacrifice to God. Do the way that we love and care for people, does it truly show the love that we have been given by Jesus Christ? Whether it's our coworker, whether it's our roommate, whether it's our girlfriend or boyfriend, are we treating them as brothers and sisters in Christ as enemies? We're to be loving, we're to be caring, we're to be tenderhearted 
But man, most of all, we are to walk in love, sacrificial love that puts them before ourselves. Guys, relationships can be messy and hard. Friendships are difficult. And I wish I could tell you, man, once you get out of college, like things get easier. They don't. You have to be so much more intentional to love people, to care for them. And how we carry ourselves in the middle of all of our relationships, no matter what they are, is going to be a direct representation of what Christ is doing in our lives. Are you showing the world around us, man, how gracious, loving, and caring our Christ can be? Are you just showing a man, people that claim to love Christ are very judgmental, hypocritical, and condemning. Let us love well. That doesn't mean that we overlook sin. I mean, we saw that earlier. We are to be angry and unrighteousness. It's something that should bother us, but it shouldn't lead us to sin. And guys, so often, I think this is important kind of plain to land on, like, we can value relationships so high that we think that that friendship, that, that boyfriend or girlfriend, maybe that marriage, that wedding, that whatever, that's the thing that's going to fully satisfy us. That's the thing that's going to give us perfect happiness and joy and peace. And when we begin to do that, what we're doing is saying that thing is more important than God because he is the only one who can do those things. We have to be careful that we are not idolizing relationships over our relationship with Jesus. Because he is the one who can satisfy and meet the needs of our soul. So let him. Abide in him. Seek him first. Because all of these other things are important and they are a reflection of how we have a relationship with Jesus. But if we don't have a relationship with Jesus, all of those things don't matter. Follow him, pursue him, abide in him. And all of these things are going to flood out into your life. And that's how we treat others, with love and care, because that is exactly how we have been treated as followers of Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you are so good to us. You are so kind and loving and gracious, even when we don't deserve it, even when we don't earn it. Lord, and we recognize that, that we fail you, that we fall short of all of these things that we're supposed to do. But Lord, that's exactly what your mercy and grace are for. They cover our sins. They cover our unfaithfulness. They cover the places in which we fall short. But Lord, through your son, Jesus Christ, and his life, death, and resurrection, we can have a, a secure relationship with you. And Lord, we praise you for that. And we praise you for the fact that even when we don't love others well, you continue to love us. But Lord, we pray that as we enter into this time of response, Lord, that we would look inward. That we would truly reflect on these different areas of how we are supposed to love people and see, man, where do we fall short? How can we love you better? How can we love others better? And Lord, if there's anyone in this room who has never entered into a relationship with you through their faith in you, Lord, I pray that they would experience the grace, the love, and the fullness of joy that you offer just through their faith in you and their belief in you this evening. Lord, we love you. We're so thankful for the way that you love us. It's your son's holy and precious name, I pray. Amen. Now, this is your first time here at Awaken. Um, we truly believe that any time the word of God is open, it demands a response from us. 
And so we have built a time of reflection and response into our service. Um, there's going to be three questions up on the screen. Um, these three questions are just prompts that you can pray and be honest with the Lord about. Um, we just encourage you to respond however the Lord leads. Um, the altar is going to be open at this time. I'm going to be down front if you need someone to pray for you. Um, and we just encourage you guys to be honest and open and, and to walk through these questions in prayer. Um, and maybe these questions don't do anything, but you have something else the Lord has spurred on your heart. Um, we just encourage you, to, encourage you to do business with the Lord in this moment. So this first question is, which of these areas do you need to, be, to better treat others? I might have worded that poorly. That's on me. Um, second question is, are we walking in love with others? And third, do we idolize friendships, dating, or marriage in a way that only Christ can fulfill us? I encourage you guys to truly just pray through these questions. The band's just going to play some background uh, music for a couple of minutes and allow you time to pray. Um, and then after that, they're going to play a final song. During that time, you can continue to pray if the Lord is still, if you're still doing business with the Lord, or you can stand up and praise Him. Whatever the Lord leads you to do, we encourage you to follow Him in this time. Let's pray.